it's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick -kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. It's Tim and Charlie here, bringing you the 1987 season. Yes, here we are. Charlie, welcome. The first season I was actually alive for, Timmy. Yeah, and what, I'm and so excited. The first season for two new teams. Obviously, we've had our Brisbane Bears special. Um, you might have noticed we did not do a West Coast Eagles special. No. Um, we are still trying to find someone. We've, we've had a few leads, but things have fallen through. If you know someone, please let us know. But we do plan on doing a West Coast Eagles special. Oh, but we certainly will. We want to do it properly. We don't want to half-ass it ourselves. No, no. We'd we like want to talk people to someone. who are involved or are now involved. Yep. Uh, so before we get to anything, Charlie, um, let's quickly uh, check in with some history. Number one song of 1987 well, the one I've chosen is Slice of Heaven by Dave Dobbin and the Herbs. It was number one in Australia for four weeks. Beautiful. From the uh, Foot Rock Flats movie. All right, Charlie, what do you got for history? All right, let me tell you about some things that happened in Australia. Well, actually, let's, let's start with the uh, around-the-world sports news. Yep, what do you got for the, for the time? So, the 1986-87 uh, to 87 NBA uh, season was uh, one by the Lakers for their fourth time of the entire decade, building the Celt beating the Celtics four games to two in the finals. Classic rivalry, yeah. uh, in Super Bowl XX um, in 1986, I, yeah, for, oh sorry, no, that's the 1986 one for the 1985 season. We need to talk about 80, uh, the 87 one for the 86 season. So that was won by... It was won by uh, the Denver Broncos. No, the Giants beating the Denver Broncos. Apologies. New York Giants. The New York Giants beating the Denver Broncos 39-20. Okay, that's going game. In the, in the uh, 1987 Major League Baseball season, we had the Minnesota Twins winning the World Series over the St. Louis Cardinals four, ga four games to three. Cardinals, yeah. Like what said, did I say? It doesn't like you said carnivals. <laughs> the Cardinals. Apologies. Um, the Carnies. The Carnies. And then in the 1987 Stanley Cup, we had the Edmonton Oilers winning um, for Gretzky. their third. Yeah, Gretzky in the in the absolute dream time for the Oilers there. Um, it was the Philly, against the Philly Flyers, um, and they they took it out. So let's get over to back to Australia, okay. shall we? Yeah. In 1987, in January, not an exact date here, but we had uh, Alan Bond uh, purchasing TCN9 and GTV9 from Kerry Packer for just over a billion dollars. The expanded night cheap back then. I feel well, maybe it's super feels expensive. expensive. It does actually? Yeah, he bought it back for much less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was his famous um, famous quote. Remember, you only get one Alan Bond in your lifetime. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the Expanded Nine Network became the first coast-to-coast -coast network. There was a bit of buying and selling of TV stations and stuff with Fairfax and things this year, but that was the big one. Yeah, okay, really consolidating. Yeah. On the 4th of Feb, we had the 1987 America's Cup ending in Perth. Obviously, it came to Australia because we won it in 83, yep. but the US regained the cup after we won it. The redeemed um, team. They would have been filthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. On the 23rd of Feb, we had the first mobile phone call being made in Australia. Um, on the 6th of April, Thomas the Tank and Friends got its first Australian television transmission. Mm -hmm. um, on the 23rd of June, we had a famous speech by Prime Minister Bob Hawke um, at the Sydney, Sydney Opera House. He promised, do you remember his promise in 1987? Well, we didn't win the America's Cup, so there's no day off. No, sort of thing. Um, it was no. it was that no child would be living in po poverty by the year 1990. Very famously okay. said, and unfortunately, wasn't able to come through on that one. Um, on the 20th of October, we had Black Monday, um, the largest fall in the Dow Jones history. Stock markets nosedived around the world, and Australia, Australia's all ordinaries fell 25%, making it the biggest one-day drop in the market's history. 
um, on the 1st of December, we had Sir Joe Bielke-Peterson resigning as Premier of Queensland after 19 years in charge. That was December. There was so much stuff about all this other <laughs> stuff that had gone on throughout the year. With um, John, John Howard um, coming out against him, yeah. you know, and the Nationals in Queensland and stuff. It was Even though John Howard wasn't the Prime Minister then? No, he was the, sh- he was the, the leader of the um, opposition. Yeah, because Joe Bielke-Peterson was a national. Um, And he was replaced by Mike Ahern, who became the only Premier never never to contest an election as Premier. There you go. And on the 29th of December, we had 19-year-old neighbour star Kylie Minogue entering the charts with her first single, I Should Be So Lucky. Oh, not Locomotion. No. Uh, A few births for you. I just picked out three. Three good ones, I thought. Uh, 15th of January, we had Greg Inglis, mm-hmm. the rugby superstar rugby player. player. 30th of January, Lance Buddy Franklin. And the 30th of April, Nicky Webster. <laughs> I felt like that was a nice round yeah, trio nice. for us. So nice. there we go. That's 1987 in a nutshell. All right, thanks, Charlie. Let's get to some league news then before we get stuck into it. A few little bits here. Because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we um, now, the Seven Network refused to offer a significant increase on its previous deal, which the VFL th- thought was warranted given the broader audience that interstate expansion would bring. Absolutely. Plus two new, or one, two new games a week, right? Yeah. One new game a week. Yeah. The VFL sold the television rights to the on-seller Broadcom, who sold them to the ABC. Hey. And Satellite satellite Network Sports Player. The deals lasted one year and Seven purchased the rights back from Broadcom in 1988. It almost doubled the 1986 rate. Hey. Um, but free-to-air broadcasts alongside the nationally aired games on ABC and all locally broadcast games via ABV in Victoria were split on state lines with seven retaining rights for Western Australia via TVW7. Oh the games were broadcast as well on SBS television and the Prime Network in New South Wales and on Network 10 in Queensland and South Australia. How confusing. What a shit show. <laughs> um, also, in September of 1987... There was a proposal put forward to the league by a Western Australian man named Errol Maron, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, who called for the relocation of an existing VFL team to Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that such a team should be known as the Los Angeles Crocodiles. This proposed team would play 14 games in Australia and eight in Los Angeles with an expected crowd of 20,000 people. Obviously, that never happened. And... What's this? What's this? That what a logistical nightmare! Yeah. Imagine doing an inter, international flight to play a game of footy. Yeah, I guess this is the uh, the crocodile Dundee. Oh yeah, makes peak. sense. Yeah, hence the crocodiles. Yeah. All right, now Charlie, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We yeah. usually run through the ladder from bottom to top. Yep, that's right. But you and I are both fans of Christopher Nolan, and we're going to mess with the timeline that's here. That's right, that's right. We're going to loop it back around. We are. We're going to start with the dream within the dream. Yep. So, um, 1987, one of the things people remember is it had the best final round of all time. Round that we've 22. seen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, as, as we'll tell you in a minute, lots of things were happening, and we want to start with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Because I think, yeah, as you said, it, it sort of makes everything super interesting and if we read it top to bottom it takes the excitement of the final round out of it so let's do this first okay all right so as you just said the just the way the fixture happened to work and the way that the games had fallen throughout the year meant that final round 1987 six of the top seven were fixtured to play each other in the final round and then there was the also the swans versus fitzroy Everything was being played at the same time on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So no one could think about, you know, oh, if because this has happened, then we want to do this. Or, or rest some players. Yeah, like yeah, every yeah. game was important. Every, everything was on the line. Everything was on the line. The The other thing is, you know, the, these four games are the most important, but the start of the round was the Friday night, which was another important one because it was... Richmond versus Brisbane Bears for the wooden spoon. The wooden the spoon. Fo- the well potentially the Bears inaugural season and inaugural wooden spoon. Yeah, but it didn't turn out that it way. Didn't luckily, know. the Bears winning that match easily. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the. So Bears. another important game in the final round. So yeah, it's there's still a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so a lot a riding, riding on this on round. It. There were a few games that didn't have anything riding on it. Yep. Essendon, Collingwood, and West Coast St Kilda. But every other game there was so- something really going on. Yeah. yeah. 
So do you want to take us through the ladder? Yeah. So b- start with? so at the end of round or round twenty one, maybe just the top seven. Yeah. End of round twenty one, we had we've just talked about right at the bottom. We had Richmond and Brisbane, but at the end of round twenty one, we had in seventh spot Melbourne on forty four points, six Footscray on forty six, fifth Geelong on forty six, fourth North Melbourne on fifty four, third Sydney on fifty six. Second Hawthorne on sixty four and first Carlton on sixty eight. But Hawthorne with a superior percentage there as yes, well. Yes, ten percent. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, that those guys, those top three, are all sitting above one hundred and thirty percent, which is huge. Yeah. But yeah, Hawthorne ten percent higher than Carlton, one hundred and fifty to one hundred and forty. So here's what was at stake. So Carlton could lock in top spot if they defeated North Melbourne at Waverley. Yep. And that you know gives them the rest in the first week. Yes, and it's a huge advantage going. Massive into the advantage. But if the Blues lost and Hawthorne won, they could steal that top spot. Yep. Um, Sydney and North Melbourne were vying for the double chance, so third position. Yep. Uh, the Kangaroos would replace the Swans if they beat Carlton, and Sydney lost to the Lions. Yep. So that's big as well. You want that double chance. Yeah, exactly. So there's your top three, and then. Geelong, Footscray and Melbourne were looking for the last spot in the final five. Yeah. So the Cats had to defeat the Hawks to make it. But if Geelong lost, then the winner of the Doggies and the Demons game was in. Yeah. But And you'd be thinking if you were the Doggies and the Demons, Hawthorne... Um, sorry, the Cats to beat Hawks would have been a huge result. Like, the door is not mm. closed. It's definitely open there. Um, yeah, interesting. Cool. So we're going to go through this kind of quarter by quarter, game by game. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what it would have been like if you were there. Exactly. You would have been following the code on the screen, looking yep. at the scores, trying yep. to figure it all out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's start pre-game. Yep. So our first game we're going to talk about, North Melbourne versus Carlton. Uh, i got a little quote here from Sticks Kernahan. Yep. He says, and I'll try to do my best to see if ahead. Oh, we trained bloody hard under Wolsey that year. Uh, even Serge Silvani, who didn't mind training hard, told Wolsey he'd have to freshen us up in September, saying they'll be bloody tired if you don't. Yeah, they'll yeah. Be bloody tired if you don't. And then, so... Um, so they know the importance of the game. They know how important it is. Hawthorne versus Geelong. The um, home, home team down at Geelong was absolutely packed to the rafters, ready to watch this game hoping that Geelong were going to get that spot in the finals. With the Dogs versus the Ds, um, the uh, uh, Footscray were trying to uh, create their own luck. Yeah. Um, the 1954 heroes were paraded around the boundary prior to the Ooh. opening siren. Yeah, and uh, John Northey, the uh, coach Super Northey, was buoyed as soon as he emerged from the dingy visitors' rooms. He says he remembers looking across at the players running out into the ground and seeing a sea of red and blue. Some of those people had probably never left the MCG before. Yeah, that's unsurprising. And you've got to remember, Demons at this stage have not made finals since 1964. Yeah, exactly. It's huge. Long, long time and lots of long-suffering Melbourne supporters. Wanting to see the team lift back yeah, up again. Which I'm sure you can relate to. Yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> been there. Um, and then we had Sydney Fitzroy, Swannies battling a bit of a form slump and um, a bogey ground that had seen them fail to win in the past 34 attempts. Um, so, tw- yeah, hadn't won in 22 years at Princess yeah. Park. Absolutely. All right. So, we don't have the codes here, but let's go through quarter by let's quarter. Let's do it. So, yep. Carlton, North Melbourne, extremely close to start with. Three goals, five, 23 to North Melbourne, three, three, 21. Charlie, what's happening down there in Geelong? Yeah, Geelong, we've got uh, Hawthorne ahead by two points as well. Three, two, 20 to Geelong's two, six, 18. Indeed. Now, over at the Western Oval, we have a very, I guess, famous clip. That is, if you watch the footy show, <laughs> Gary Lyon breaks his leg and yes. he's being carried from the field. This yep. footage has been played over and over to death. Um, it happened 10 minutes into the game. Yeah, ridiculous. And again, we have a two-point margin. Yep. Dogs, 4-2-26 to D's, four straight 24. Yes, and then over at Princess Park, we've got the Lions and the Swans. The Swans taking charge early on, 6-5-41 to the Lions, 4-4-28. So, so yep. at that point, things are sort of looking the way that you would have imagined them to. Yep. Based yep. on the based on the ladder predictions and all of that. Yeah. All the apart from the yeah every 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 favourite I suppose is is mm. leading thus mm-hmm. far. Um, then at half time, we've got 
Carlton 5636 uh, and North Melbourne kicking away 8452. Opening that gate for uh, Hawthorne to come through. Yeah, North looking good there. And that game being played at Waverley as well, we should mention. Yeah. But. Uh, and Hawth- Geelong also making their move down to Cardinia. Yeah. Uh, 61248 to Hawthorne 6636. If not for some errant kicking, I Geelong know, should would be, be well much ahead. further ahead. Uh, doggies can't quite pull away from the D's. Still very tight, but there's only a goal in it. 6-4-40 to the D's 5-4-34. Yeah, quite a low-scoring game this one. The D's only scoring one goal four in that quarter. Yeah, yeah. And the Lions have really pulled thing, got things going. This is a shootout over at uh, Princess Park. Absolutely. Lions kicking eight goals in the second quarter to Sydney's four. Lions 12-6-78 to Sydney 10-10-70. Yeah. All right, so... Things still pretty close. Yep. After half time, things begin to pick up. So at Waverley, at one stage in the third quarter, North Melbourne lead Carlton by 38 points. Yeah. Before the Blues launch a comeback. Kernahan said talk during the three quarter time huddle was about the permutations, how winning would give the Blues the best pathway to avenging their grand final loss to the Hawks the imagine, year before. Like, imagine these guys standing there at three quarter time and being like, oh, but if these guys, like, it's like, Spectator chat happening yeah. in the in the huddle. It's but, crazy. But I just talked about North being thirty eight points ahead. But if you look at the three quarter time scores, North uh, Carlton are ahead fifteen eight ninety eight to North Melbourne thirteen nine eighty four. Yeah, huge. So Carlton have kicked ten, 10 goals in a quarter to North's five. But they must have kicked the first five of that game. Yeah, that quarter. Yeah, amazing. Um, si- similar it started. The Geelong have started to to kick away uh, here. Um. But then the Hawks were able to sort of counter counter back with five of their own to stay within striking distance coming into the last quarter. So Geelong 13-15-93 to Hawks 11-9-75. Now, we'll talk about this later, but Robbie Flower had announced this was his final season and he had never played finals. No. Um, And his dream wilted early in the third term. The Demons were almost four goals down after the Bulldogs kicked the first three goals of the quarter. Yep but they weren't able to capitalise on the strong wind with their lead remaining at only six points at three-quarter time. So 9-7-61 to 8-7-55. Um, sensing the moment, the Demons' great Robbie Flower kick-started this team and he kicked two of those goals. Yeah, to beautiful. Back into it. Now, here's an interesting bit as well. Sensing the moment, Burley Demons football manager John Sell breathlessly told the players at the last change that the Hawks were in front of the Cats, leaving the finals door wide open. So he's, like, he's told them a little bit of a fib yeah. to really get the fire burning. Yeah, let's not, let's not worry about what they're doing. Let's, no, uh, let's, we, let's we've got this. give ourselves every chance. And then so we've got a real yo- yo-yoing affair going on at Princess Park. So Sydney kicking 6-13 to the Lions, 6-5, as they're just peppering the goals. You're right, it's an absolute shootout. Yeah. Um, and well, Sydney gained the momentum coming in. So still a bit behind. Well, I didn't kick 6-13. I don't know why I've written that there. They kicked six goals, four. Sorry, 6-4, okay. So I don't know why I did that. No, that's all right. But we, So it's still, it's still very yeah. close. Nine points, anyone's game. Yeah. 18, 11, 119 to 16, 14, 110. It was a massive shootout, Timmy. All right, let's go back to Waverley. The last quarter. The lead changed 12 times from the 20-minute mark of the third term to the end of the game. Uh, The Kangaroos led with only seconds remaining at Waverley after Jason Love kicked a goal, but the Blues went forward and Kernahan took his fifth mark of the quarter. Um, And this is how it happened. So... The clock ticked over 30 minutes. A boundary throw-in occurred on the members' side. Uh, a rush kick by Justin Madden was firmly grasped by the towering Kernahan, who lined up from a meagre 15 metres out, but on an acute angle as the siren blasted. Here's a chance for Justin Madden. It's got a lob in the square. Kernahan! And Kernahan has been absolutely sensational. He's kicked five goals. And the siren has sounded. Kernahan is only going to be kicking from 15 metres out. Now, it's not an easy shot. There is tremendous pressure on him. And look at the goal umpire, the concentration as Kernahan moves in. And he's put it right through the centre. And that is the mark of a champion. And Stephen Kernahan has kicked... 
Kernahan says it was one of those little little ones from 45 degrees that are never easy, but thank God it went through. Kernahan's after the siren match winner locked in top spot. The Blues went on, as we know, to win the 1987 flag, but would they still have if they hadn't kicked this? No, because I mean we just mentioned how hard they'd been been training. So without that week off, mm. who knows? So final score. Final score, Carlton 29-129 to North 19-11-125. Um, so then we've got the Geelong-Hawthorne game down in Geelong. So, yeah, so da- the, the Cats were clinging on here, yep. sweeping to a 15-point advantage as time on ticked over. Yeah. The, uh, the dream might be over for the yeah. Ds here. Who knows? But, but a quick clearance by Platten ended up with Peter Curran, who wheeled onto his left and found Dunstall, who kicked truly. Uh as the seconds ticked away, an errant forward kick by Bairstow was intercepted by All-Australian Russell Morris, who dashed across the back of the centre square and launched it forward, the tumbling ball resting on the chest of a diving Dunstall, who was previously well held by Darcy. He slotted it to stunned silence at Geelong. The Cats coach, John Devine, had his head in his hands. Right, I'm going to stop you there because this game is still on. Yep. Let's switch over. Let's, uh, let's head to the Witten Oval yep. just to see what's happening there. So. Beautiful. Melbourne forged ahead only for a 17-year-old Stephen Kolonyuk in his third game to regain the lead for the Dogs with a goal against the run of play at the 12-minute mark of the last quarter. Firstly, the Demons had tasted blood in the water and the Reverend Flower brought the Ds faithful to their feet with a spectacular mark across the pack and a goal, followed almost immediately by a sharp Ricky Jackson snap from 45 metres and a cool Brian Wilson goal on the run to end the Bulldogs' hopes. Um, at this stage, you can hear... If you watch the footage, you can hear the Hawks, sorry, the Demon supporters cheering because they've just heard that Dunstall has kicked this goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Demon forwards magnificent, but in their enthusiasm, given the free kick away. Is that the siren? Maybe Hawthorne have hit the front. Yes, they must have. We may have heard a, a reaction to Hawthorne hitting the front. Fans rush onto the ground as the siren sounds. But then they returned to their earpieces to count down the final seconds as the miracle escape was unfolding down the highway. (laughs) At one stage, the unusual clap of Hawthorne, Hawthorne, was drifting over the Doug Hawkins wing as those long-suffering supporters of red and blue hoped for Flower to cap his career with a shot at the crown. And then if you watch, you can see the moment they find out the siren goes down in Geelong. The Hawks hung on to win. Score of? Uh, 17-21, 17-21, Geelong's way to Hawthorne's 19-12, Yeah, so Dunstall burst into life there in the last few with four goals in the last quarter with two in the last 90 seconds to snatch that win. Unbelievable. The Demons holding on to win their own game by 15 points, so it was 10-8-68 to the Demons' 12-11-83. Which put us into the finals. And don't they celebrate it in oh, the yeah. rooms. Ooh. Um, and we should check in over at Princess Park as well, Charlie. What's happening yeah, there? So the Lions were able to hold firm in the face of a huge barrage from the Swannies. Uh, Sydney go to, got over the top of Fitzroy, winning by eight points, which locked in the double chance. So Fitzroy's 2013-133 wasn't quite enough for Sydney's 2021-141. That is a shootout. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, a little bit of an aftermath here as well. So as we just talked about, Carlton obviously going on to win the flag. Yep. Um, so that was what amounted from their, their game. Down in Geelong, there were more than 27,000 people at the game and they departed Cardinia Park in stunned silence as the reality hit in that the winner of the Demons-Dogs game would claim their final spot in the finals, which yeah. Geelong had had up until that afternoon. Meanwhile, over at Whitnoble. Well, the D's ended the third longest finals drought in league history, 22 seasons at the time, by finishing fifth, making the finals, as we mentioned, for the first time since they won it in 64. Uh, somewhere du- during that night, amid the beer and back slapping, the Melbourne players made a pact to look after the man who'd helped them get into the finals uh, for the first time in 23 years, Jason Dunstall. Mm, but he never got that... Uh Never got the beers that they were thinking about <laughs> getting him, uh, but has has since said that you know he's happy to accept them if they want at any time. Yeah, any time. Um, and then didn't really change anything in the end, unfortunately. But Sydney managed to break the hoodoo of not not having won at Princess Park in twenty two years. So yeah. not a bad way to finish anyway. Way. Yeah. So that was the final round. 
Isn't that incredible? Like amazing. amazing. And I, I wonder how much the AFL, when they're making the fixtures, look at that and go, "We want to try to recreate this. What can we do? Who do you reckon it'll be?" And then is that why we've got a floating fixture at the end of the year? Do you think? No, because we know who's playing. No, I know, but like to try and maybe make it as interesting as possible to time the games differently. But it'll, yeah, like I, it's it's not yeah, much. I see what you're but you know, if you know that. If you know that Friday's match is going to have an effect on... on mm. Or one match is going to have an effect, put that on Friday so you can see the... So why the final round the should all happen at the same time? They'll never do it because of TV rights. Couldn't but, possibly, could you? But imagine... Well, I don't think there's enough ground... Like, you can't. There would be. You can't You can't have one match on, on at the MCG for a whole weekend. Cut in your park. Marvel Stadium MCG. Yeah. SCG, Homebush, Gold Coast, Brisbane... So you're making Perth. you're lining up that every interstate club has a home game in the last you know, round. You have to, yeah. So, but then things would have to fall that way as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, For this kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. You can play in, down, down in Tassie as well. You can play Canberra. True. There's a heap of grounds. Town, Townsville. Um, all right. Well, I guess we should probably get to the season proper then. Yes. Yeah, we need to talk about it because that is just a taster yes. of the 1987 yeah, season. We're back in time now. Oh <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Now let's get into things properly, Charlie. Let's talk 1987. So we just talked about this. We know who got the wooden, wooden spoon. And it, unfortunately for them, it was uh, those Tigers. So Richmond finishing with five wins, 17 losses, 82.5%. Uh, this year, cap, uh, coached by Tony Jewell for the second year and captained by Mark Lee. Great. Uh, some debutants include Peter Wilson, Michael Mitchell, Michael Laffey, David Butterfant, Richard Nixon, ex-president. So you have a game. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yep, yep. Uh, Andy Goodwin and Renato Dintinasante. Okay. Uh, now, Alan Bond stepped down as Richmond president. He was only there very shortly. Yes. Uh, but agrees to keep sponsoring the club for the season and with his Bond Corporation. He felt the club required a president who could devote most of his time to the job, and he could not. Now, the Tigers were the first team to travel to Perth to play the newly formed West Coast Eagles, but the game was an Eagles romp, and the Tigers came back to Melbourne with their tail between their legs. It's actually a pretty sad start to the year. Their only win was round three over the Bombers at the MCG. Newly acquired player Terry Wallace, ex-Hawthorne player, was best on ground with 34 disposals and three goals in a 46-point win. Mm-hmm. Their only other wins were round 11 over the Lions by 26, which was a good comeback after a slow start. Michael Roach kicking seven. They got some revenge on the Eagles in round f- uh, later on with a four-point win at the MCG. Round 17, they beat the Pies, who earlier in the season had come back from a big margin to beat them. And this saw the Tigers come back from 39 points, so... Very similar games, yep. just a reverse result. Uh, Wilson and Roach kicked four in this game each. And round 20 was a thumping of the Saints at Waverley. Waitman the star with 35 disposals, four goals in a 76-point win. Uh, no surprising that Tony Jewell was again given the heave-ho at the end of the season. No. And on September 1st, favourite son Kevin Bartlett was hired yep. as Richmond coach. Yes, that would have been exciting. Get Got the faithful back up and pumped for sure. So, uh, Michael Roach was the leading goal kicker this year for Richmond with 43. Disco. Disco. And the Jack Dyer medal went to Dale Waitman for the second year running. The Flea, yep. One of their shining lights. Disco and the Flea. Disco and the Flea, yeah. yeah. Classic. So, let's take us up the ladder to our newly formed Bears. Well, I'm feeling a lot of love for at the moment after after talking about a little bit recently. Yeah. Um, with six wins, 16 losses, and 79.3%. Um, now, we went through... Oh, I can tell you who the captain and coach is if you I want know, to help. I know, I've got it here. So, of course, we went, we went through that... The, uh, um, inaugural captain was Mark Micken. Yeah. Uh, um, Overlooking a couple of ex captains of big clubs in the past, yep. there and uh, inaugural uh, coach. coach was Peter Knights. Did uh, tell us a little bit about Mark Micken as well, please, Charlie. I would love to. So he was uh, recruited from the uh, Renmark Rovers in West Adelaide's Country Zone, which was the Riverland Football League. Yep. The talented six foot five ruckman started his Sandville League career with West Adelaide in 1981. Strong seasons in 83, 85 and 86 resulted in him winning club best and fairest awards in those three years. And in 1986, West coach John Cahill named him team captain for the season. So 
big career in the Sandfall, moving into those into the Brisbane Bears. And so he was a captain in the Sandfall as well. So yes. we, we did wonder why he might have been chosen as co- captain of the Bears. And that's because he, he had it. He, he done was it. Probably a bit younger and still had leadership experience. Yes. So round one, a poultry crowd of fourteen thousand and ninety six showed up at the MCG on a balmy night to see the Bears banner rise up with the words "History in the Making." Yeah. Bernie Harris slotted the goal, Bears' first goal, um, and the Bears really did a number on the Kangaroos here. Um, Gradually adding to their score each quarter and winning the match by 33 points. Caught them sleeping, do you reckon? Yeah, well, yeah. maybe a bit of psychology as well. Maybe the Kangaroos expected to win against this team of maybe. no Maybe, yeah. Um, Brenton Phillips kicked five and Phil Walsh was the top possession getter with 31. I love that in the rooms after the game, they were each handed a sheet of paper with the team lyrics to the song on it. Yeah, we've. I mean, we've seen that yeah, before, haven't the Giants. we? That's great. Yeah. They sang this with gusto and when they couldn't follow along, they just threw the words aside and joined in with screams of triumph and delight. And look, they backed this up a week later, Charlie. They went down to Cardinia and had a surprise 19-point win over the Cats. Yep. Jimmy Edmund with eight goals, Choco Williams with six. Um, their first home game was actually round four at Carrara. And they pulled in a crowd of 17,795 for their first game there, taking on Fitzroy. Not bad. Not a bad crowd, is it really? Yeah, not, not a bad crowd at all. Um and quite poetic that it was the, as the Lions they were playing there as well in their first game. Yeah, yep. Um, but the Lions went on to win by 15 points. Their first win at home was the following week when the visiting Demons fell away in the last quarter and the Bears hit the lead for the first time in the opening minute and then opened their play up and ran away to win by five points. Other wins for the Bears were round eight, a big win over the Tigers, set up with a seven goal to two second quarter and finishing with a 35-point margin. 13 goal scorers in this game for yeah. the Bears, which is huge, including five to Edmund. Ex-Tiger Jeff Raines was great with 31. Round 15, they smashed the Cats again at Carrara, the final margin being 41. And we mentioned this before, their final match of the season was a wooden spoon showdown in round 22 on the Friday night. The Lions kicked six in the first quarter to take control of the game, and they were never really challenged nah, from there. took the Chuckies. Uh, Brad Hardy, who they had acquired from Footscray, kicked seven in the dominant performance, relegating the Tigers to bottom spot. That's right. Though Jim Edmund actually took out the lead, the lead goal kicker in the Brisbane Bears' first year with 34. Brad Hardy with one less on 33. And the Brisbane Bears' best and fairest in 1987 was Phil Walsh. Walshy, yeah. Inaugural uh, best and BNF. Yep. So there we go. Vernos. And that takes us up the ladder to Collingwood, having a pretty miserly year there with uh, seven wins, 15 losses, and 76.4% uh, this year. Coached by Lee Matthews, as we know, took over from Bob Rose last year. Yeah. And captained by Tony Shaw, taking over from Mark Williams, who's obviously now up in Queensland. Indeed. All right, some debutantes include... Athas Hirasulakis. I think I've said that. I hope I said that right. Done pretty well. I Paul Todnam. Yeah. Uh, so Paul Todnam, son of Des. Son of Des. Yeah. Gavin Krasiska, so Michael Christian, who is now in charge of the match review panel. Yep. Brett Yorge, and two names I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about: uh, Craig Starsevich and Gavin Brown. I would love to talk about them. So, Craig Starsevich, let's talk about him first. Uh, recruited from East Perth, for whom he played 37 games for after he won the 1986 FD Book Medal for being judged their best and fairest player. Uh, on the back of this, Starsevich was recruited to Collingwood for the 1987 se- season. He played two seasons for uh, the Bears as well after that, before me- more recently becoming coach of the Brisbane Lions AFLW team. Starsevich is the only person in Australian rules football history to win both an AFL and an AFLW premiership. Of course, as a coach. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a pretty impressive yes. stat. I like that a lot. Um, and let's talk about Gavin Brown. Uh, recruited into the Magpies from Templestowe, where he contributed to the side for over a decade. He's part of the Magpies' under-19 premiership side in 86, and then showed his true value as a tough and courageous footballer and a great man off the field. He earned the nickname Rowdy <laughs> because of his very quiet demeanour off yeah, the field. Yeah. Love an ironic nickname. Yeah, so good. All right, so probably not the season the Magpies wanted to have. No. Um, injuries weren't great. A bruised heel kept Peter Dacos out until round 17. 
while David Cloak sought help for a troubled groin in Adelaide, still managed to suit up for quite a lot of games. They started the season with three straight losses and they were up against it early. Against Richmond in round four, the Tigers dominated the first two and a half quarters and the lead blew out to 51 points at one stage. BT, Brian Taylor, became frustrated by the situation and he instigated a melee involving all but five players on the ground. Really? Uh, and this perhaps upset Richmond's concentration. Collingwood snuck in a couple of goals at three-quarter time to reduce the deficit to 39 points. And then a nine-goal-to-one final quarter saw the Magpies pull off a stunning victory by 10 points. Taylor's game reflected his team's. He was probably worst to field for the best part of three quarters and then he proceeded to kick a half a dozen goals to single-handedly turn the match in a heroic fashion. <laughs> Uh, following the amazing comeback, the Woods managed to string together three wins on the trot, providing hope something could be salvaged from the wreck of the season so far. Had a narrow four-point win over the Dogs at Victoria Park and a win in its first game against the Bears, which aren't really boastworthy achievements. No. Um, actually, after the Dogs game, the club complained about umpire Peter Cameron, whom they said had sworn at one of their players, Shane Kerrison, um, and said, you know, you're not going to get another kick for the rest of the game after Kerrison had complained. Um so they complained about this. Umpire Chief Bill Deller dropped the issue after he had a friendly chat with Magpies officials. Okay. Um, more embarrassment followed, including a worst ever hiding at Vic Park and a loss to bottom side Richmond later on in the season. But I'll talk about them in other teams when yes. we get to them. Uh, round nine was a six-point win over the Saints. Jamie Turner with 36 disposals. They beat the Lions in round 12 by 26. BT with seven goals. They beat the Bears again in round 19 by 23. And finished the season on somewhat of a high with a five-point win over the Bombers at the MCG. Um, one other thing from this season that I, I took away from what I read was that the media were really having a go at the Magpies as well, which, I mean, unlike the media to have a go at the Magpies, yeah, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, they reported like they reported rumours of a rift between uh, Brian Taylor and Lee Matthews, suggesting that BT was going to be cleared at the end of the season oh. to leave for the VFA. Um and they were also trying to get the club to move to either the MCG or Waverley and, and play their games there, which we know eventually does happen. Yeah. But at the time, President Alan McAllister said, you know, we're going to play at Collingwood until, well, forever. We're, gonna, we're happy to sign a 50-year lease with the Collingwood Council to, to stay to at stay Vic Park. Park. yeah. It'll be our playing base. It'll be our administrative base. We're staying here. We're not moving. Yep. They did move. Yeah, of course. But, but at, at that everyone time, did. Yeah, everyone did. But that, at that time, saying the right things to the members, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but the Magpies would not be happy with this uh, this finish. No. So BT, again, lead goal kicker at Collingwood, but with um, 60 goals rather than 100. Yeah. Slightly more accurate in front of the goal, though. Only, <laughs> only 28 behinds this year. Uh, and the Copeland Trophy in 1987 went to um, uh, Pants Mullane, Darren Mullane. Oh, yeah, lovely. All right, so moving up that ladder after Collingwood, we have the Maroons, the Lions, mm. sitting here with eight wins and 14 losses, 91.5%. percent have been called the Maroons for a while. I know, yeah. I know, right? It's very interesting, this. We've gone from bottom of the ladder, five wins, then six, then seven, and now up to eight wins. So there's no one sort of working on percentage at the moment. Uh, so sorry, yeah, Fitzroy uh, coached... Captained by Matt Randell for the third year running and coached by David Parkin. Yes. Debutants include Chris Dufty, Brett Stevens, Darren Kapler, Matt Armstrong, Mark Trewella, Robert Bolzen, and David Struper. Um, I'm, I'm seeing some names here of football cards I definitely had. Yeah, yeah, growing up. Um, they left Victoria Park as their home ground and now had gone across to Princess Park to share with Carlton. So. The nomads, Fitzroy, are like sharing ground. I feel like that's a positive. I mean, we know it's not in the long run, but it sounds like a positive Closer move. to Fitzroy. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Uh, round I mean, sharing with your your perennial rival isn't ideal. No, no. Uh, round two by was a forty-four point win over the Saints at Princess Park. Barwick and Osborne with five each to open their account for the season. Round three, they smashed the Kangaroos by seventy-four with a twelve goal to one second half. The next win wasn't until round seven with a superb 25-point win over the Bombers. This win showed the Lions' attacking capability. They actually were trailing by 39 points early in the game, um, but then slammed on 18 goals in the second half as a brilliant Barwick enjoyed another day out with seven majors. A week later at the SCG, even the last-minute withdrawal of Paul Ruse couldn't curtail Fitzroy's run against Sydney, and they lift, the win lifted the Lions to fourth place. So things looking good, but they fell away badly after this, after mid-May, really, losing... Or winning just three of their last 14 games, which included a 14-point win over the Demons by 48 points, mm -hmm. 
Um, the VFL made a loss on the round 17 match between Fitzroy and the Brisbane Bears, drew a crowd of 5,824 to Oof. Princess Park, despite being only one of three matches in Melbourne that weekend. Um, the Lions won that by 25, but the league had considered rescheduling the match as a bit of a double header um, with one of the other two senior matches that weekend, but contracts were already in place and stopped that from happening. Yeah. Um, and round 18, they had a seven-goal victory over the Cats, but that was their last one of the season. The other thing I should mention was that they were the first team to play at Carrara and beat the Bears. Ah, well. I didn't okay. actually mention that here, but that was Fitzroy, which we we talked a bit about we when did. we talked about Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Mitchell Medal in 1987 went to Scott McIver, uh, and the lead goal kicker at Fitzroy this year was Richard Osborne with 62. Not bad, and Doug Barwick with 47 behind him. No, not bad. Not too bad. No. So moving up that ladder to 10th spot, we had the Saints with nine wins, 13 losses, 90.8%. Uh, coached this year by um, Daryl Baldock and well, and Alan Davis. Really? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll talk about that. Yep. Yep. We'll talk. Yep, we'll talk <laughs> about that. And captained this year by uh, Spud Danny Frawley. Yes. Uh, some big debutants as well. He will get to in a second. Rodney Gladman, Dean Rice, who was one of my brother's favourite players growing up. Um, and St Kilda, it sometimes seemed like like little Carlton or where Carlton players go to retire. <laughs> They've got Alex Alex Marco, Spiro Kukamalis, and Ken Sheldon coming across from Carlton. Following uh, Wow Jones and Alex Jezelenko, who had also done that. Yeah, of course. They got Bob Neal from Geelong, but the two big names I want to talk about, Charlie, I want you to tell us a little bit about Nikki Winmar and Nathan Burke. Oh, I haven't heard of these people. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's start with Nikki Winmar. So he grew up in uh, Pingelli in the Wheat Belt region of Western Australia. Uh, Winmar began his career with South Fremantle, playing 58 games there before moving to St Kilda. Exquisitely skilled capable of absolutely spectacular things on the football field. He also possessed an aggressive streak, which made him an extraordinary, a formidable opponent, opponent when he wasn't getting into yeah. trouble. And he's a Noongar man, I, I believe, as well, from WA. Noongar man, yes. Yeah. Yes, I believe that's right, yeah. Uh, and obviously, apart from his on-field prowess, is probably now more well-known for um, his... Activism in you know indigenous rights, and yeah. even back then, yep. the the probably the most famous sort of non-football football photo, right? You would say definitely, yeah. yeah. And his middle name's Elvis. Love that, yeah. love that. Uh, and then we've got Nathan Burke, who started his playing career with the Pines Football Club. He's also a supremely gutsy and talented footballer who is an inspiration to teammates with his attitude and demeanour. And just been fired as the coach of the Bulldogs AFLW team not too, not too long ago. Yeah. A few days ago. Unfortunately, I thought he did a good job, but apparently not. <laughs> um, all right, St Kilda. So after losing the first two, uh, they had their first win over the Bears at Moorabbin in round three, Rod Owen kicking five. We should also talk about Daryl Baldock, the yeah. prodigal son returning, coming back from the mainland. Um, he had been a political... I think he'd, he'd run for a political... Party in Tassie? Party, yeah. I think he was... Was he on the parliament? Or was something to do with that? And there was speculation that maybe he couldn't coach St Kilda and they were umming and ahhing. Um, but he could. He was here. Nice. Round four. And th- look, everything I talk about St Kilda is basically the Tony Lockett show. Yeah. yeah. Round four, he exploded with 12 goals, three of the Saints, 14 goals, eight. In a 47-point loss at the MCG. Uh, this broke Bill Moore's club record as the, uh, the best player, the best score by a player in a losing team. They welcomed the Tigers to Moorabbin in round seven and signs of the great Winmar and Lockett partnership started to show. Lockett kicking six, Winmar four in a 23-point win. They beat the Eagles by eight goals. Lockett was seven. Uh, he almost snatched the game against the Bombers with a kicking nine goals and a 15-point loss. Kevin Sheedy calling him the best full forward he'd seen since Doug Wade. They almost beat the Blues at Princess Park. They haven't beaten, they hadn't won there for a long time. They went down by a late goal kicked by Tommy Elvin um, but this loss is said to have galvanised the group like Daryl Baldock looked around the rooms like they're actually hurting they they, they feel from this loss so they'll grow from this yep, loss yep. Um, they did lose their next two games but against the Lions in round 15 they did the 1966 Premiership team proud who did a, a pre-game lap of honour and they won the game by 34 points Spiro Cookham with 40 disposals and Brad Gotch with 7 goals 
They got things rolling, Charlie. Then they beat the Bears in Queensland by 28. Lockett kicking 8. They smashed the Demons at Waverley by 46. Lockett kicking 9. They made it 3 in a row with a win over the Kangaroos. Lockett kicking 8. However, just before their next game against the Dogs, Daryl Baldock was admitted to hospital after suffering a mild stroke yeah. at training. Yeah, okay. Wow. Um, apparently he was acting a bit weird. They thought he was maybe drunk, but no, he was having a stroke. Uh, so he was in hospital, but the Saints weren't to be stopped. Uh, they took on the Dogs, and in a match that was very close, they won by three points. Amidst all this, Tony Lockett kicked his 100th goal of the season, which was in the last quarter. He finished the game with... Uh, so I don't know, he, but he kicked the winning goal. Amazing. The three-point win, which meant they had won five games in a row. Their best winning streak since 1972. Hey, okay. And that was sort of when they were sort of falling. They just, they were premier, they were runner-up the year before. So yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so Alan Davis was filling in for Daryl Bulldog. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, in round 21, they fell behind early against the Pies, only kicking four points in the first quarter. And the Pies got out to a 40-point lead, but Lockett, kind of encompassing what happened with the team. He kicked four behinds early on, but from quarter time, it was all St Kilda. 15 of the next 18 goals to win by 49. Lockett finishing with eight goals, six. <laughs> um, and so for the team who had won, was it four wooden spoons in a row? Yeah. To, you know, jump up to a respectable... What are we, eighth? Eighth, yeah. Is that what we're talking? Oh, no, we've got a few more clubs now. Oh, we do. What are, what are we, tenth? Yes, well, that's a bit more respectable, yeah. Yeah. Ten out of 14. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're ahead of four other teams. That's right. Well done. Well done, St Kilda. Congratulations, St Kilda. Bit so, of hope and some good wins, you know. Yeah. So the Trevor Barker medal in 1987 went to Tony Lockett. Uh, and unsurprisingly, he was also their leading goal kicker with 117 for mm. the season. Uh, Rod Owen, a uh, lot of daylight between him and second. Rod Owen, 39. <laughs> and Nicky, Minwa, Nicky Winmar, 37. Stewie, Stewie Lowe, 26 in his second year with the club. Yeah, buckets. Not, not bad. Um, so that takes us up. To uh, ninth spot where we have your boys Essendon sitting with nine w- wins, 12 losses and a draw, uh, 89.5%. Yeah, the wheel's falling off a little bit for the Bobbers mm. who have made finals through this four or five years. Yeah, so uh, captained by Terry Danaher again and coached by Kevin Sheehy. Yes. Um, some debutants include McGarry medalist Tony Antrobus who came across, Gavin Keane, John Barnes... Chris Danaher, ah, yeah. um, Anthony Danaher came across from Sydney, and another debutante you can quickly tell us about in Gary O'Donnell. I would love to. I thought you would. <laughs> but I haven't got anything here about him. So, okay. So, number 10, he was a great player. Um, uh, let's carry on then. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> um, look, injuries ruined the 1986 season and threatened to 80, do... Oh, yeah, threatened to do it again. Threatened right. to do the same in 87. Mark Harvey broke a bone in his leg in the preseason. Simon Madden had back and hamstring injuries. Watson was still recovering from his knee injury, as was Bill Duckworth. So they're like four of our best players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, their first win was... Well, they started off with a 59-point win over the Dogs. And then a five-point win over the Eagles. First team to beat the Eagles. Hey, yep, not bad. Um, but in this game, Anthony Danaher broke his ankle. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Their round four win over the Swans by 47 was their only win in a run of five games. It also saw them draw with Geelong. Um, Madden and Mark Harvey came in for the game against the Hawks in round nine, but the team were thumped by over 100 points. Uh, and on top of it, Mark Harvey re-broke the bone in his leg that had... Rehealed. Oh my god. Following this loss, the Essendon committee slashed the players' pay packets as punishment for this big loss. Oh. Which you would not be allowed to do these no, days. No, absolutely not. Does that mean they got a bonus if they had a big win? No. Wow. No, yeah, good point. Um what else? They beat the Saints in round eleven, the Bears in round thirteen, but it was really Paul Salmon who did his best to try to right the ship. Yep. He kicked 11 goals over in Perth and a win over the Eagles by 28 points, followed by another nine against the Tigers a week later at Windy Hill. Uh, but more disaster was to follow in a really, really bad loss to the Swans in Sydney. 
and the Swans had a three-game stretch, which is ridiculous. We'll talk about next week. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of killed any hope of Essendon making finals. They beat the Lions in round 20 by 41, but lost their last two. Um, and I was speaking to our friend Shags the other day, um, talking about one of the things that upset the team was when we, we brought in Jeff Raines and Richardson from Collingwood and had to dump Stephen Carey and Bradbury. And that really unsettled the team and would uh, maybe another reason why the Bombers had fallen away when they had been thought to be almost invincible yeah. just a season ago. Yeah. So very disappointing there for the Bombers, but we'll, we'll be back. Yeah, yeah. It comes, it comes. Yeah, it comes. Stability. Stability is mm. key. Yeah. We know that. Uh, so the Crichton uh, uh, Medal Award winner in 87 was Bomber Thompson, taking it out for the first time. And the lead goal kicker at the Bombers this year was Paul Salmon with 43. So just not not quite getting as many on the board as some other teams. That's probably the, the main yeah. issue there. Injury. Sharing it around a bit more, but yeah. Mm. Uh, so that takes us up to eighth spot where we have our other new team in the West Coast Eagles and a very even uh, season they had for their first season. 11 wins, 11 losses, 97.9%. It's very interesting looking at the debutants because for the Brisbane Bears, they're almost all recycled players yeah, and players from other teams, whereas these are, there's a lot of debutants. And when we do eventually have our Eagles special, we'll go through their initial squad, but... Yeah. Some some to mention. Chris Lewis, Darren Bennett, Mark Zanotti, Danny Laidley, Alex Ashenko, John Gastev. Two I'd like you to quickly mention who I thought are some standouts. Chris Mainwaring and John Warsfold. Yes. Probably the two biggest names. Well, of course. And I should also mention that their uh, inaugural coach was Ron Alexander and inaugural captain uh, Ross Glendenning. Yeah, coming across from North Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, so... Let's talk about uh, Chris Mainwaring starting his football career with the Greener Greener Demons. Sorry, apologies if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, Before being recruited by East Fremantle in 1985. Uh, There in his first season, he was a member of the West Australian State of Origin team and played in a Sharks premiership team. Uh, He was adored by young fans for his handsome appearance. Mm. Uh, He was one of the most popular footballers of that era. At his peak, he was one of the finest wingmen in the AFL. Yeah, absolutely. And then Woosher. Uh, John Warsfold began his career with South Fremantle Football Club in the Waffle before joining the Eagles' initial list in 87. Quietly spoken and reserved off the field, he was a classic victim of white lion fever with his aggressive attacks on body and ball being almost awesome in their intensity. Yep. Yeah. A great Eagles man. Oh, the, the, the best and fairest is named after him. Yes, it certainly is. Premiership captain, premiership coach. That's an that's a uh, unlikely double, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Many. Uh, in front of an official crowd of 23,879, but actually close to the 30,000, the Eagles welcomed the Tigers to Perth for their very first game. Laurie Keane kicked the club's first goal, but the side find, found themselves 31 points down at three-quarter time. Ooh. So coach Ron Alexander threw Glendening forward, which helped inspire the team to kick nine goals four to one goals five in the final quarter to win by 14 points. What a win. Huge. Um, they came close against the Bombers. I did say the Bombers were the first team to beat them. Um, they lost by three points at Windy Hill. So not bad. Their first away win was round five against the reigning Premier's Hawthorne at Princess Park. Oh, that's big. With John Warsfold on debut. The Eagles were in a close game all day, but they pipped the Hawks by two goals. Mainwaring was the man of the match here in a game where the Eagles were also missing Glenn Denning and Phil Narkle. John O'Neill steered them to a 75-point win over the Ruse. They won the battle of the new teams against the Bears in round seven by 19. Danny Laidley and Dwayne Lamb led them to victory over the Dees. Laidley's battle with Robbie Flower one of the highlights of that game. Then 38,274 people came to Subiaco to watch them welcome the Magpies. The biggest crowd there until 1991. Ah. And the Eagles were well led by Glenn Denning with four goals for and David Hart with 30 disposals as the Eagles smashed the Magpies by 57 points. <laughs> they wins over Fitzroy in round 13 and this had them in finals calculations. But then three straight losses put a severe dent in those aspirations. They had a three-point thrilling win over the Blues in round 17. Glenn Denning with the winning goal four minutes before the bell. And they backed this up against the Hawks a week later in Perth with a one-point win. Uh, youngsters Chris Lewis and Mainwaring, excellent. And they finished the season with wins over the Bears by 21, the Saints by 88, to finish in a respectable eighth spot. Yeah, very respectable. Imagine them making the finals in their first season in the VFL. That would have been... Uh, well, the Victorian clubs would have been crying foul. Well, How yeah. dare they come in? It almost uh, 
I think it would set some in good stead. You can't just make oh, yeah. you can't make it first. You'd think it's too easy. No, you wouldn't have the fire in you. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. The big bias is, no. is real. Um, so uh, our lead goal kicker at West Coast this year was Ross Glendening with thirty eight, um, and the inaugural John Warsford medal winner was Stephen Malaxos, Glendening uh, runner up and third place Chris Manwaring. Yep. So yeah. Good first year from West Coast. You'd be, you'd be happy. Very happy. Yeah. Very, very happy. Beat the Hawks twice. Beat Carlton What once. more could you ask for, Timmy? Yeah. Yeah. Making finals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so up in seventh spot with 11 wins, 10 losses and one draw was Footscray with 95.7%. Um, Footscray this year, uh, captained by Rick Kennedy and coached... By Nick Moldhouse, of course. Yeah, so if you remember, 85, they had a great season. 86, they really fell off. And then they had that public falling out, Brad Hardy and well, Moldhouse. Well, I was about to say, surprising that they've they've bounced back with Hardy leaving and, you know, obviously a bit of turmoil going on. Or... Hardy was sent to the Brisbane Bears yeah. for $270,000, a transfer fee. Not bad. Season started poorly, though. Three straight losses, and they were last on the ladder. But they bounced back in style with a 41-point win over the reigning Premier's Hawthorne. Brian Royal with six goals, Brian Cordy with 35 disposals. Um, around this time, there was also rumours of disharmony between the players and the coaches and that the club might get re- relocated to South Australia oh, yeah, or yeah, Tassie or there'd be a merger. that Footscray were one of the, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, one of the big ones. They beat St. St. Kilda by 44, the Demons by 24, the Bears by 32, the Lions by 33. Doug Hawkins, who had done his knee the previous season, returned in round 11 against the Eagles mm-hmm. in, uh, at Western Oval. The Dogs won by 22 points. Stephen McPherson kicked six goals. And post-game, the, fan, post the fans ran onto the field to celebrate. And I was so excited that they hoisted uh, Dougie Hawkins onto their shoulders and paraded him around. Nice. Um, they had further wins over the Tigers by 68. The Cats by 39. Actually won seven straight, which was their best run of wins in 41 years. It's a big run, yeah. It is. Uh, but they would only win two of their last eight games to miss the five. Those wins were over the Pies by 11 and the Bears by 82, in which Simon Beasley kicked 10 goals. Um, they also had a draw with the Kangaroos. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, would have been very hopeful coming into the middle of the season there. Well, really ruining that loss, those three losses to start the season. Yeah, yeah. They're always playing catch-up. So, unsurprisingly, Simon Beasley was our lead goal kicker this year with 73. Uh, and the Charlie Sutton medal in 1987 went to Tony McGuinness. Um, and so this takes us up to six spot, our final non-finalist, hmm. and that was the Cats. Uh, 11 wins, 10 losses and one draw as well, but a slightly healthier percentage of 100.3. Uh, this year, Geelong, uh, coached by John Devine again for the second year and captained by Damien Burke, taking over from Michael Turner the year before. Yes, uh, debutants include Mark Bairstow, who came over from Perth, uh, Dwayne Russell, who you might hear on uh, Fox Footy and SEN mm-hmm. commentating, Gavin Excel, and Whiskers, but we'll call him Gary Hocking. <laughs> or Buddha, I think is. I, I forgot that he changed his name. That is so funny. Yes, uh, I mean, we all know, we all know uh, Buddha. So hailing from the border town of Cobram in northeastern Victoria and Gary Hocking was an extremely dynamic and fiercely aggressive on-baller. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, the Cats, so let's talk about them. Uh, the season started well with a one-point win over the Saints at Moorabbin. Paul Couch accumulating 36 disposals. And in round three was their next win with a good uh, defeat of the Demons, 34 points. They smashed the Lions by 75. Lindner and Mickey Turner kicking seven goals each. Uh, they drew with the Bombers at Windy Hill in, in round six and then went on a bit of a winning streak between, between round nine and 12, beating Sydney, Richmond, Collingwood, the Eagles. Uh, Paul Couch was again great in round 14 with a win over the Saints. He had 27 kicks, nine marks and 11 handballs for the day. Pretty handy. Round 17 was a day out against the Roos. David Cameron kicked eight. Gary Ablett, who was having a pretty quiet year by standards, mm. kicked six and Billy Brownless five in a 97-point win. Mark Bairstow had 39 disposals. They beat the Bombers by 27, the Swans by nine on the run home. The win in Sydney coming from 27 points down at three-quarter time to overrun the Swans with an eight-goal last quarter. Um, and we have spoken about their last round match as well. We have. Uh, so the Kaji Greaves medal winner in 1987 was Mark Boss. 
Yes. And the lead goal kicker at Geelong this year was not Gary Ablett. It was Bruce Lidner with 62. Gary just behind him with 53. Uh, A little bit... uh, Yeah, they just sort of... There were a lot of guys who sort of didn't play the whole season. You're talking, you know, even their lead goal kickers. Gary ended up on 17 games. McTurner, 19. Billy Brown was 14. So maybe they just couldn't quite get into the, into the run of it. Yeah. But that's our, that's, there are non-finalists for 1987. Now, you probably do want to talk about the preseason, I assume. Of course the I Panasonic do. Panasonic Cup. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. Mainly for the reason that uh, your team won it and you can go and visit the Panasonic Cup if you go into the MCC. It's sitting there on display. Whereabouts is it? Um, check that out. If you know where the main like office is, as you walk in the gates, oh, it's right yeah, there yeah. on the left. Right there. Where you go and pick up your forms and stuff. It's the there. So it's this huge, skinny-looking trophy. I love that. That's so good. Um, Yes. So the uh, VFL Cup slash National National Panasonic Cup. Uh, One of the most, you know, uh, interesting sort of ones we've got because obviously we've got the expansion teams coming in and the first change of broadcasting, as we mentioned, Mm. in 30 years. Uh, So the VFL have now completely... At this, as of this year, resumed control of the series and the AFC board was disbanded. The Sandville team's no longer involved. Mm. Um, the series commenced without Panasonic being a naming yep. rights sponsor. Um, and also, no official television deal was signed at this stage, so Channel 7 continued to broadcast the pre-season yep. cup. Um, and this is obviously the first time it was a pre-season cup. Started, rather than being a midweek competition i think maybe there might have been a few few teams saying it was time to change after what did we talk about last time there was one club who played four games in two weeks or yeah. something like that How ridiculous um so it's not quite all pre-season it goes into the but, end of uh, end yeah. of april but generally but it's like it start it's, it's transition tr- transitional it started so again we've got the same thing where the the Smallest loser gets through again because we've got the uneven amount of clubs, but it's all VFL clubs now. Yeah, uh, there's no no other no one else involved, so it's gone from the Australian Football <laughs> Cup to yeah the VFL preseason. Yep. Uh, so round one we had Geelong beating Collingwood, Carlton beating Fitzroy, Melbourne beating Richmond, Hawthorne beating North, West Coast beating Fit- Footscray, Essendon beating St Kilda. And Sydney beating Brisbane. But Fitzroy be only losing by 11 points meant that they got through to the quarterfinals. No playoff for uh, the, the bonus spot there. No playoff for the bonus spot. So quarterfinals, we had Geelong uh, beating Carlton, Melbourne beating Hawthorne, West Coast beating Fitzroy, and Essendon beating Sydney. Then in the semis, we had a uh, Melbourne-Geelong game at VFL Park, uh, which Melbourne won by 30, and then West Coast getting through all the way here in their first year. Not bad. Very early. Um, unfortunately, getting absolutely smashed by mm, Essendon. Not points. unfortunately for you. 108 points. West Coast kicking a single point for the entire first half. It should also be mentioned that West Coast having to... And Brisbane and Sydney all having to play these games at Waverley. At Waverley, yeah. And not travel just Melbourne, every week. Yeah, yeah. Waverley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a flight and then a bit of a bus ride. It's not that easy. No, exactly. So, um, and then the final was Melbourne versus Essendon. Uh, Melbourne got out of the gates reasonably well. Essendon then caught them and by halftime, there was only two points in it, 22 to 24. But uh, after that, I mean, it stayed very tight. Melbourne sort of getting out and then Essendon pulling them back. But... Couldn't quite get there in the end for the same olds, and uh, Melbourne took it out, the first preseason cup with by a, with a four point margin, fifty four to fifty eight. 
The first bit of silverware since 1964. Yes, not so bad. Um, so Brisbane, unfortunately, yeah, important to mention, they went out straight away with a 76 lost point loss to Sydney. That was at the SCG, though. Yeah. So Sydney got that one one game up there. Um, and then... Uh, I should say the Demons won the night series in 1971. Yeah. But still a bit of a time. Bit of time yeah, passed. Yeah, bit of time. Gary Ablett was uh, the lead goal kicker in the series. Uh, with seven goals in the quarterfinals against Carlton and 13 goals from the three matches he played. Um, and, yeah, that's that That was the night series. So, happy, Robbie Flower would have been happy to hold up some, some silverware. Well, he didn't because oh. he wasn't playing. Oh, yes, of course. He was, uh, he was injured. He was injured in that final. So, Danny Hughes led the side in his absence. Mm. But he did get to hold the silverware. He was chaired off the field with the Premiership Cup. <laughs> Just as well. All right, well, that brings us to the end of uh, part one, 1987. Yeah. Yeah, that's us. So uh, looking forward to uh, talking more about our our top five, which, I mean, it's always been great, but harder to get in there with 14 teams. Yeah. So there's a bit more prestige to making finals Absolutely now. There is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward to talking about those guys next week. Uh very happy that we haven't yet talked about Melbourne, which has been a long time since we've talked mm. about them in a second episode. And also, just before we sign off, a big shout out to a friend of ours, Sean Manor. Yes. Who got picked up in the draft the other night. Uh, pick 36 went to the Cats. We, How exciting. We've known Sean for quite a number of years and have closely followed his story and all the hard work he's put into getting there. So as a 26-year-old rookie. We're super pumped for him um, and he deserves so excited. it. Yeah, yeah, can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah. So yeah. if, you, if you follow us on Twitter, you, you'll see all the reposting we've been doing just to, to support him because we're so happy for him. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, but, well, until next time, Jimmy, hooroo! To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.